Thank you, Father God, that you've brought Montez and Naomi safely um, from such a long distance. We know that you have got plans, um, and, and we're just trusting you for every step of the way. We thank you, Father God, that um, you have your hand upon this man and his heart and his mind, and you have your hand upon his family. And we're just so excited this morning to hear more of what you've got to say to us through him. Amen. Great. If you're wondering why the accent is so different, because <laughs> we're from thousands and thousands of miles away, but it, it's it's good to be here. I hope you can. I'll, I'll try and let you adjust to a, a completely different accent, mind you. I don't suppose it's different for all of you. Uh, a lot of you have travelled, and a lot of you uh, have well, relatively recently left British shores, or some of you at least. So hopefully. You can uh, pick up my accent. If you want to place it, it's uh, near Birmingham in the UK, so central Britain, that's where it's located. So that's our little boy, so Theo, you may want to just play back there with your toys, I'm sure he'll be fine. But uh, let me just say a word of prayer too, if I may. Lord, we thank you for your presence amidst your people as we've uh, come together. We want to hear, as we've heard in song and the Bible read, in the things that people here have shared, we want to continue to hear, O oh God, your word to us. Speak to us, we pray then, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It's all, if it's all a little too fast for you, just say, put your hands up. I can try and slow it down for you. Let me tell you about an atheist who was walking through the woods. I've just noticed I could do with a clock. Um, so let me have a look. Really. So, yeah, it would help me a lot. It might help you too. I'll tell you what I'll do. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, if I take my watch off, it goes dark. That's great. I'll try not to drop it now, okay? So an atheist going through the woods, enjoying all the accidents of... Let me just pray. Father, would you grant grace? Uh, we know that you hold uh, the power over every challenge and difficulty we face. So we just pray for grace for that dear lady uh, and for all of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I was telling you about an atheist walking through the woods, admiring all the, the accidents of evolution, the wonderful, wonderful trees, the majestic river, uh, the great animals, when all of a sudden he hears behind him a rustling. As he looks back, a bear is coming for him. 
one similar to this, except this one's coming for his meal. And so the man begins to run. As he's, ru as he's running, the bear is getting closer and closer. He trips, and as he looks behind him, this bear is about to, to take a swipe at him, when all of a sudden, he cries out, God, help me. And in that moment, you may have heard the story, in that moment, time freezes. The, the, the river stops, there's a light appears, all sounds come to a complete standstill, and he hears God's voice speaking to him, says, how dare you call out to me when you've denied my existence all your life? And so the atheist responds in fear and says, you're right, God, I have no reason for calling on you and no hope in this situation. And you don't have to help me, and I can't, uh, I can't tell you that I've believed in you all my life and followed you because I haven't. Would you do this for me? Uh, I'm not a Christian. Would you do something for the bear? Could you make him a Christian to help us out in this situation? <laughs> and so God says, very well then, I'll give you your wish. The bear is instantly a believer. And so all of a sudden, time continues, the river continues to flow, the light disappears, you can hear the sounds again, and the bear stops, falls to its knees, puts his arms together, hands together, and prays for the first time in his existence. Lord Jesus, thank you for this meal I'm about <laughs> to receive. Here's a reality, friends. The atheist has no hope in crisis. In a predicament, he can't turn to anyone other than himself or, or another human who may well be equally as helpless. And if you know anything about life, you know life throws you a curveball out of the blue. You may have known that recently. You, who knows? You may, may be a situation in your life just now that feels just like that. There may be one ahead of us. Uh, I wouldn't want to wish a crisis on anybody here. But we may walk out of this gathering, this meeting, and walk into a life-changing crisis. Well, Psalm 46 tells us, friends, and this is the message uh, I want to bring to you in the name of Christ, is that it brings us hope. Hope outside of ourselves. Hope beyond humanity. Hope from a God who is bigger than the biggest crisis we could ever imagine. So we're in Psalm 46, I'm going to break it up, we're going to go through the whole psalm, uh, I intend to break it up for you into three parts, hopefully my little friend back there, Meg's going to help me out, and we should get uh, the headings, and all the Bible verses, you're welcome to use your own Bibles, but all the verses that we refer to will, and this is a word of faith, will come up for, for you on the screen in front of you there. So the first point. Number one, God is to be trusted in crisis. God is to be trusted in crisis. And Psalm begins, God is our refuge and strength. 
Refuge, not to be confused with refuse. You know, the stuff you throw out into the garbage. Do you call it garbage here? Yeah, we, we regard back in Britain, well, not me personally, but Brits at least, Australia to be a bit of a refuse. It's, it's where we got rid of all our criminals. <laughs> yeah, right, right, great, I like that. Look, it, so it's not to be confused with refuse, it's refuge. This is a place of security, protection, it's a defensive term. It's, it's security and stability so that life can continue as normal. We may not appreciate that because we live in security here in Australia and we do in Britain. Uh, but if you lived in Afghanistan, refuge will be paramount on our thoughts. God provides refuge is also our strength. It's double-barreled this help. Again, strength is something that's offensive. It's offensive action, not to be confused with being offended. Ever been offended? No. <laughs> I was last Friday, well, a couple of days back. We are having a lovely private barbecue, and it was meant to be the inner core of the leadership team. And then Greg turned up. I mean, we know what it's like to be offended, but the offense here is not offensive action. It's, it's action proactively in our favor. It goes beyond just being a mere refuge. It's actually stepping out to fight, stepping out to act. God not only provides protection, shelter, but he steps out. He acts to effect our protection. He fights for us. He helps us to mature, to advance in faith, to consolidate ground, and to move forward. And so to add it to that, God is a refuge and strength and an ever-present help in trouble. And here's why this is important, friend, friends. It's all great if God is going to be our refuge and he's going to act in our strength, but is he going to be there when I need him? And so the psalm is really clear here, friends. He's an ever-present help. He can be found, he's always near, and he can be accessed in emergencies. You guys are going to need access to God, and not just medical authorities. You're going to need access to God very soon, hopefully. And, and God's word to us, friends, is that he's an ever-present, accessible help. I enjoy watching comedy. You may have heard of some of our comedians, Michael McIntyre. Yeah, one of our well-known ones. And I'll tell you about another one. You wouldn't know him at all, but a joke that I heard from him some years back always stuck with me. He, he gave this presentation. He said he's a martial arts expert. And that with his bare feet, he could break, uh, split into a rock. With his bare feet, he could defend himself against a wild animal. With his bare feet, he could fight off an entire gang of hooligans. And then he went on to say, and he looked pretty battered and bruised, that recently he was beaten up by a gang. 
And his reason was, he said, he says that he was trying to take his shoes and socks off <laughs> in order to expose his bare feet. <laughs> but in that time, was beaten up. The psalmist tells us, Christian, that God's help program, if you like, is always accessible. There's never an excuse. God never has an excuse. He never fails to show up. He can always be reached, always be depended upon. He's always near, always near. One of the things I found interesting about Rivergate, uh, I suppose one of the, the points that uh, has drawn us to you, is your passion for mission, to reach out, to, to grow into your community. In Matthew 28, we have the Great Commission. It's why we do what we do, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. But here's the thing. How do you do that without God? Well, we can't. And so here's the promise, and, and this is what makes the commission possible. It's what makes it real, accessible. Verse 20 of Matthew 28. Go, yeah, go and make disciples, yeah. And then verse 20. I am with you always to the very end of the age. And it's, it's what the psalm is, is, is uh, uh, preemptively, if you like, drawing upon. He's an ever-present help in trouble. The reason I can face crisis, yeah, there's help available, but the reason I can face it is because it's presently available now, actively, because God is in Christ always with us. So what kind of crisis? I mean, crises come in all different patterns. I mean, you may, you may have a headache. That may be a crisis for you. Maybe a bill you can't pay. Maybe that's a crisis. You could be a pastor, desperate to find a church, and no one in your own country will employ you. I mean, that could be a crisis. But what about when it's a real crisis? What about when it's not just a bill, but it's bankruptcy? when it's not just a cough, but terminal cancer. What when it is my world, someone so dear to us that the thought of losing them is losing an entire world? Can God show up then? And how big is he? How big is this God? What are his limits? Can he help me when the going gets impossible? I mean, that's what we need to know because we face, and if you've lived, you know that, we face impossibilities. And so verse two, verse three, therefore we will not fear though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, and though its waters roar and foam, and the mountains quake with surging. Selah, pause, think about that. How far does God's help go? What are its, what are its limits? I hear this, friends, and it's powerful, it is. If the planet itself 
catastrophically implodes, fails, falls out of orbit. Even then, God's word to us, friends, is that he's still then a refuge and strength and presently always accessible. So if that's true, what's the response? If you're anything like me, when you're you're in an emergency, the first response is panic. It is, isn't it? But here's the response, and this is what it should be, and this is why we have the word of God. I'm sure you appreciate this. this. It's not there just to sit pretty. It's to orchestrate or govern our lives. And here it is. Here's the response, and this is God's word. Therefore, we will not fear. I think God is saying to us, Christian, and I think it's a word that I, I need to hear, that in crisis we have to remind ourselves that we're not to fear that God is in control and that he can overcome the most difficult situation that we face whatever that situation is and the response is always the same it's not as though there are certain categories of difficulty whereby we can respond differently and, and so if it is the thought of um, having to replace a car because the last one's conked out, you, you, know, you know, we respond in a particular way there. Or if it's a case of potentially having a pastor from another country, I mean, the sum of all fears, uh, then, then we can respond to that differently. Now, the response is always the same. Therefore, we will not fear. And this is where things are different, friends, for us to the atheist. And it has to be different here, otherwise our name as Christian means nothing whatsoever, is that we have to be experientially different. Someone coming into our presence has to be able to observe, feel, experience us in crisis, responding differently. Therefore, we will not fear I want to challenge you here. Does my faith hold up in crisis? I guess in one sense it's the real mark of faith. Because any fool can believe in God when the going's good. In a point of crisis, does my faith kick into action? Does it rise to the occasion? Do I still then believe in Jesus? Do I still then, let me ask you, when you're in crisis and it's Sunday, 10 a.m., where are you? Where are you? Because that's exactly where you need to be. There's no greater mark of distinguishing authentic Christianity than to see people's response to God in crisis. I can show you uh, a list full of people, I'm sure you can do the same, of, of people who once believed in God, who are now a million miles from God, and, and if you trace back how they got there, it's inevitably always the same. 
crisis. God wasn't there when their granddad was on his deathbed or whatever it may be. And so Christian, here is a mark of our faith. In crisis, we will not fear. We will be a church. We'll still bow the knee. Uh, we'll still sing, Jesus, I believe in you. Uh, and, and that song, one of the reasons I've chosen that, I think the plan was we were going to finish with it, but um, yeah, that's cool. But maybe we can sing it again. It's, that it's not that we just believe in his existence. It's that we believe in him. We believe he can get us through it. We believe he's still there. We believe he's got the answers. In fact, we believe he's got every answer for every situation, however diverse those circumstances are. Jesus, I believe in you. It's not a mere affirmation of faith in his existence. It's another utter confidence and the abandoning of ourselves into his care. I believe in you. I believe in you. And so, Peter tells us, friends, in crisis, cast your anxiety on him. I wonder if someone could just get me some water, please. That'd be great. Otherwise, I'm going to have to drink the communion wine. <laughs> you know, and that could be really dodgy, depending on, <laughs> depending on your church background. Number two, God is amidst his people in crisis. Verses four to seven. There is a river. That's why I wanted a drink, you see. <laughs> I'm reading about water and I'm thinking, that's what I'm lacking, a drink. And here he comes, thank you, Sid. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, his holy place, where the Most High dwells. This city then, this is picture language. Yeah, we'll have a sit down, thanks, Sid. I'll <laughs> uh, ask for the drink, great. Just to make sure I don't trip over that. This is picture language. Uh, the Bible often does this. I'm sure we're familiar. The Bible can't just be read literally from start to finish. Much of it can. And it's knowing what genre of material we're dealing with. Some people argue Genesis 1 to 3 is a particular genre. I'm not sure. Uh, I, I, it's my preference at least to take Genesis 1 to 3 literally. literally. But something like Revelation... I don't think you can read that literally. And here too, uh, I think this is a picture. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. The city of God is a picture of God's people. In context, this is Israel. Uh, but in present context, this is the people of God, Jew and Gentile. So this is God's people. I want you to notice his proximity. Where is God to this city. Someone tell me, what's the proximity of God to this city? Thanks, Bron. He's right there. He dwells within her. It's something we've already alluded to. The water is interesting. It's interesting because of the contrast. Do, do you remember the waters of verses 2 to 3? 
You got a Bible there? The, the waters of the, what condition are the waters there? Raging. The waters there are the cause of the chaos. Okay, so there's 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 movement here, not just water movement, but movement in style. Notice the difference. The waters here are a river feeding streams. Streams. I mean, you guys, your city was built on on the torrents, wasn't it? From what I gather. Okay, streams are peaceful things generally, aren't they? Tranquil things, things that that attract. Uh, Peace, and some of you, I'm sure you like to walk. When I watched, I think I've got a picture here, I watched uh, your welcome video when I first found out the River Gate, and there's your handsome young pastor, Nick. And I noticed he's standing in front of a river and giving his little video presentation. And he was doing that because rivers and streams are pictures of peace, tranquility. They're places that, that, that invite us to come near. I mean, you just wouldn't expect Nick standing there giving his welcome video and all of a sudden uh, the, the, this stream, this gentle stream would all of a sudden <laughs> turn into a tidal wave <laughs> and swamp him and wash him out to sea. I mean, you just weren't expecting that, were you? Neither was Nick, because I noticed he never looked behind him. Streams, <laughs> streams, friends, speak of serenity, peace. And so the point here is, I think God's making a point here, is that that which was the cause of our chaos and strife and crisis, God is able to convert supernaturally, to reverse as he were, to master but to take a hold of the very thing that's causing us our crisis and make it the means of peace for us. God can take our worst fears and make them into channels of our greatest blessings. What's your worst fear? What is, I mean, you're welcome to respond. What is your worst fear? What's that? Squirrel. Squirrel. Hey, hey, hey. Hey, absolutely. Yeah, watch out for squirrels. Especially if you're a nut fan. Okay. But whatever it may be, whether it's squirrels, it may not work with squirrels actually, so I'm sorry, I can't work on that one. But whatever it may be, the point is simply this, friends, that God can take our worst fears and convert them to serve us in our walk with him. There is a river whose streams make glad Positive, the city of God, God's people. And that's because God is within her. Verse 5, and I think this is the key. Verse 5, God is within her. She will not fail. God will help her at break of day. I want you to hold that intention just for a second. I'm going to come back to it. 
Let me tell you about the Israelites. The Israelites had left Egypt. They were heading towards the Red Sea. And I know when, when we read that, it sounds like some kind of holiday resort, the Red Sea holiday vacation. We can imagine it sounds like that, but it wasn't. They had the, the Egyptians pursuing them from behind. They were in a narrow valley, so there's no access to run to the left or to the right. Okay, you get in the picture? And then in front, they had the Red Sea. This wasn't a beach holiday. They were, they were hedged in every way. The sea for the Israelites wasn't refuge or help. It was their worst fear because this was the only pathway out of this predicament. And, and so the sea for the Israelites at this juncture was an enemy. And so what does God do? You know the story that during the night he gets Moses to stand, hold his staff up, and during the night parts the sea. The Israelites go through, and that which was an enemy becomes a way of access for them into an escape plan, if you like, and then following them is the Egyptian army upon whom at daybreak God pours the entirety of the Red Sea and deals a death blow to the enemies of the Jews. And here's a crucial point. This is a link in scripture between two different references. Exodus 14, Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. At what juncture of the day? At daybreak. Let me take you back to the psalm. It's at what juncture of the day, at what juncture of the day does God's help for his people in crisis come? At daybreak. And I think, friend, what God is doing is reminding the Israelites, look, you know, you know that when your ancestors were in crisis, when there was no way out of their predicament, when they were up against it every which way, what did I do for them? I turned their chaos into the means of their escape. And I did that at daybreak. I think God is saying to us, friends, that his help, A, comes urgently, but B, that we receive help from God, friends, as we reflect on his past faithfulness. As we read scripture, it's why we read it, as we hear scripture, it's why we hear it. It's, it's why we, we look back on it. We find help in present difficulties when we look back to the reliability of a God who always shows up. I want to challenge you with this, friends. The situation and the solution for your problem will never be in yourself or even from those around you necessarily. It's always from God. And we receive that assurance when we look afresh to him. When you're in crisis, get out your Bible. Put a worship song on. Listen to a sermon. When was the last time you found yourself in the most dire predicament and your first response was to listen to a message of the Bible? 
we live in an amazing age today when you can just log onto the internet and you can listen to the greatest sermons on the planet. Next time you're in crisis, that's your first port of call. And then to hear and to reflect on and to read God stepping in and helping. Verse 6 tells us how the help comes. I'm going to speed up because I need to finish. That help comes by God lifting up his voice. Look, we live in a, in, in a position of advantage in the New Testament era. What is the voice of God or who is the word of God? It's Jesus. It's Jesus, thank you. So God's solution to our problem comes from him speaking up and when God speaks up, when God speaks, it's always Jesus. It's always Jesus. And this may sound like a cliche, but it's absolute truth, friends. The answer and the solution to your crisis, predicament, chaos, is always, always Jesus. He is the universal answer. It is Jesus that God speaks into our lives, friends. I don't know if you ever thought of Genesis 1. It was Jesus who spoke then. God's word, Christ, brought everything into existence. And we know the power of his word. We read the gospels, we've heard the gospels. You know the situation in the boat when the winds and the waves were wreaking havoc? It was by the power, that same power, that he stilled the most incredible chaos for the disciples. And lastly, then and briefly, God's might is to be awed in stillness. God's might is to be awed in stillness. What is the future of the planet? What is our future? Verse 8, come and see the works of the Lord. The desolation is brought on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. This is a picture of the war end of the severest war that we could imagine. And we can imagine that quite easily today, can't we? With the power of nuclear weapons, we can wipe out the planet in moments. When Hitler invaded Poland, it triggered the Second World War. It began in 1939. September 1935 lasted to September 1945. And during most of those six years, it appeared as though Hitler had the edge and that the world would be overtaken by him. Until in 1944, the Allies landed on the beaches of Normandy, and it began to be the end of Hitler. It turned the war around. It didn't end the war immediately, but it turned it around. And what seemed impossible became a reality. Here's a question I want to put to you. 
what will bring the chaos of our lives or the chaos of this world or even the potential of World War III to an end? How many allied forces will it take to bring peace and lasting peace to our lives and to this world? How many? One king. He makes wars cease to the end. He has brought that on the earth. He breaks the, the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. God single-handedly can handle every crisis. Even an extin extinction level event such as World War Three. God can do this single-handedly. And I think that's the point here, friends, is how many helpers do you need in crisis? One. It's God. It's Jesus. I want to show you a picture in Revelation 21 of the power of God to bring peace, lasting peace to bring an end to war. Revelation 21 verse four, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And in this new earth and a new heaven, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. The future of you, Christian, and the future of planet earth is a brand new one is a world where there's no more chaos, no more crisis, no more death, no more pain, no more suffering. Christian, God is drawing you, leading you and I to an existence one day on a new planet, heaven, where there will no longer be crisis. So he not only helps in crisis, but he's leading the planet to an eternal, final paradise. And so there's only one response to this, and I want to close with this. There's only one final response to this, friends. Verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. We were in the bookshop yesterday and it's it's a popular thing to put this verse on a piece of wood, nail it to, um, to somewhere in your house. Uh, but have you ever thought, this is a re rebuke. This is God saying, excuse me, this is God saying, shut up! <laughs> Stop, will you? Pack it in! It's a rebuke. It's a rebuke firstly to the nations. Look, you may have your nuclear arsenal, Trump, whoever you may be. And you may be able to threaten him and her. Look, and you may think you're some great nation or some great person, but I'm telling you, shut up and stop. Because I call the shots around here. And when I speak, you will be quiet. 
I think it's a rebuke firstly to the nation's friends. God saying, look, I'm in charge. I call the shots here. And secondly, it's a mild rebuke. It nevertheless is a rebuke to you and me. It's God saying to me in my crisis, Montas, will you stop? Would you hold on a moment? Would you be still for a minute? Would you let me be God? Do I have to remind you who's in charge here? It's me. This is what I can do. This is what I have done. This is what I will do. This is your future. Now, please, stop. Worship me. Be still. And know. Believe. That I'm in charge. That I hold your world. However that may look. Whatever details are in the world. Whatever that consists of. Whoever consists of that. I hold your world. In the palm of my hands. Now be still. And know that. That's where your peace comes from. And it's then. Think about this friends. God could have stopped your crisis before it happened. Yeah? You believe that don't you? And so your crisis is within the sovereignty and control of God. Yeah? which means that God wants to advance us on the journey of faith through crisis. And his word to us is, be still and know that I'm still in charge. Learn the lessons that I want you to learn. And it's then, and often it's only then, that God moves in in power and takes away the crisis. What's the speediest, fast track route out of crisis? It's to bow the knee before God. It's to learn the lesson as quickly as possible. It's to submit to him. And it's then his deliverance comes. Be still and know that I am God. Amen. God's might is felt in crisis. There is hope in crisis, friends. May we know that today. Amen.